is Off Script with Trish Close. Intimate interviews and conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Judge Laura Cromwell. Hi, Trish. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And you are just recently elected Jackson County Circuit Court Judge. Yes. Yes. I was appointed uh, back in September and then just recently elected on November 6th. We're going to talk about the journey to being a judge. Okay. The, the judge journey a little bit because I'm curious, before that you were actually at the DA's office for a long time. Yes. For about 11 years. I was, wow. Yeah. Okay. Prosecutor. So we're going to talk about that and how you got to be where you are okay. today. But first of all, where are you from originally? Originally I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Okay. Born and raised there. And raised, how long were you there? Uh, eight, till I was 18, and I moved to uh, Oregon to go to school at Willamette in Salem. Wow, so that's yeah. that's home home. A home home, yeah, absolutely. Are your folks still there? My folks are still there. They still live in their, you know, it's a little adobe, everything there is adobe. So mm. they live in their tiny little adobe house, and, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a neat place. We've talked about New Mexico before. My parents lived in Albuquerque, I want to say for like four years, five years maybe, and we went to Santa Fe a couple times to visit. Yeah. I don't I didn't know people could be from Santa Fe. Yeah, you can actually be from there. It's a you know, it's actually about the size of Medford. Um Okay. And it's um but it's very quaint. It's very artsy. There's a lot mm-hmm. of history there and yeah, so it's really neat. Super artsy. In fact, they have the is it called the Portico? Is that am I naming that right? I'm just trying Oh, are you thinking where the where the uh so Board of the Governors, or the Governor's Mansion, which is really, again, just an adobe building, mm-hmm. is, um, <laughs> and all the Native Americans have, is that where you're yes. talking? Have all their jewelry laid yes. out under there, and yeah, it's just, and they sell just um, amazing jewelry there. Every time we go home, I have to get right. a new piece of turquoise. But if you're under there, if you're yes. selling under there, you're legit. Legit. Like, you, you cannot, you have to be a... Um, you know, the certain uh, percentage or, right. you, you know, so, and that's all handmade stuff. It is not. Uh, it's amazing. Made. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Really... The hand, the, the idea that it is handmade, especially yeah. these turquoise pieces. Yeah, it is. It is mm-hmm. amazing. And some, you know, you'll see some of the women there, you know, uh, in, in Santa Fe, you know, with like these big chunky, you know, right. turquoise pieces. It's really, it's neat. Yeah. That's awesome. And you, Santa Fe's high desert. So you got yes. snow. Oh, you got a lot of snow. It's up at 7,000 feet. So it's wow. uh, very cold in the winter. Yeah. Okay. Do you go visit? I do. We visit probably every couple of years. My parents tend to come out and visit us more because mm-hmm. they're retired. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we'll go back every few years. I love Santa Fe. Yeah. Such a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and then, Funny story about Santa Fe, I actually told you this. When we were visiting, we were living in Oregon at the mm-hmm. time, and we go with my parents to Santa Fe. We go to this bar that has 400 beers, you know, in <laughs> bottles or yeah. on tap or whatever. My husband, Chuck, says, just give me a beer that you really think is great. And the bartender was like, I've got a great beer for you. And he brings him a rogue ale. Yeah, and that makes sense because, you know, Oregon has all the best microbrews. Yes. New Mexico is not really known for their good beer. So. <laughs> They're known for other things. Other things. So you grew up in Santa Fe. Uh, only child or siblings? I have a sibling. I have an older sister, two and a half years older than me. Okay, so yeah. you're the baby. I'm the baby. Yes. High five on being the baby. I like it. Did you guys get along? <laughs> no, we fought like cats and dogs when we were little. We get along now, but we were horrific to each other. In fact, I think that was the first time that my parents finally, I mean, we had been fighting our whole lives. And finally, when we got, I don't know, she was in college and, and came back and I was 
18 and in high school, and we got in our last physical fight at that point, and my parents were like, that's it? You're going to counseling together? Nice. <laughs> Way to keep it like, honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, just, like, physically fought and verbally fought? Verbally, physically. I was always bigger than she was. I was, <laughs> you know... Um, you know, I was, a, I was taller, and I was also a little bit, uh -huh. had a little bit more meat on my bones at that time, and and uh, so that was really my only way to combat her. <laughs> she was pretty bossy, oh. and so I would just hold her down and you know nice. torture her. Yeah, good. How much older? So she's about two and a half years older than me. Oh, so. that's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. A lot mm -hmm. of fighting over the bathroom and. Oh well, know. duh. I blame your parents. <laughs> One bathroom for two. Come yeah. on, guys. Although I have stepkids and the, and three stepgirls, and we, at one point before we moved into our, our house that we're living in now, we had to save up money. We had them all in one room, and my husband built them a triple decker bunk. Nice. And they, I think the oldest one was. 14 at that time and can you imagine three girls in one tiny room no. they were amazing i don't mm -hmm. know how they didn't kill each other they they just don't fight the way i fought with my sister it's a lot of hormones it's in one room girls. but i will say those three girls are pretty amazing they're they're fabulous i'm really lucky to be um you know a stepmom of of such mm -hmm. wonderful girls because you could be like they could have been like you and oh. your sister. Oh, they could have been horrific. <laughs> What's yeah. your sister's name? Emily. Emily. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad you and Emily are now getting along. We do now get along. She's she's great. She's a mother to my niece, and and I, you know, just great family. Awesome. Um, so childhood was a little, at least with your sister, a little tumultuous. <laughs> yes. At times, what were yes. you like in high school? I picture you as like a super big nerd. I was. I was definitely a very <laughs> I see big. That with love. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely was a very big nerd. Um, I was valedictorian in my class, which never happened after that. I was mm. in college. Meh. I'm not <laughs> surprised, school, Laura. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but in but I also played a lot of sports too, and so I did um, volleyball and basketball and and uh, softball. And so I was kind of you know a nerdy jock. <laughs> yeah. So I you were one of the girls in high school that I like wanted to hate so badly, but I probably couldn't. Super smart and very good at like. And, and athletic. Yeah, and, yeah. and completely invisible to boys, which was the bane of my existence back, back in high school. Really? Yes, I, absolutely. I find that hard to believe. No, I'm not kidding. It was I was a late bloomer for sure. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. cheers to that. I was also <laughs> a late bloomer. I also thought, bo like, especially in middle school and the beginning of high school, I thought boys were disgusting. <laughs> they, yeah, I was very much a tomboy when I was little. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was all wrestling and fighting. And, Perfect. Yeah. So what made you decide to do college? Because you were at law school mm -hmm. um, in Oregon, of all places. So, well, I did my undergraduate in Oregon, and I had never really been up here before. My dad took me to a couple different places to look, um, and and turns out that um, the day we came to Willamette um, to just look at it, there was, I think it was a Saturday, and, and there was... Um, we're taking a tour around the campus, and and uh, there's some frat guy like leaning outside the, the you know his window <laughs> like totally drunk still, and it's just awesome. like come to Willamette. 
this is the place to be. And I told my dad, I'm like, I'm going here. I just, <laughs> this is it. This is what I look for in a school. <laughs> so you did undergrad at Willamette. Yes. And okay. then I went down to Texas for law school, San Antonio. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, but I guess Oregon, like, does, what made you pick this state? I, you know what, when I, just growing up in high uh, desert, mm -hmm. you know, I always had seen pictures of Oregon. It was lush and green right. and rainy, and I loved that. Uh -huh. I thought that would be so cozy. You're like, neat. I need something green yeah, in my I life now. Yeah, something green, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I loved the look of it. And, and then, so what made you decide to ultimately go into law school? That's a huge commitment. It is. And so when I was, you know, a teenager, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I always wanted to be a vet. Mm -hmm. I worked for vets from the age I was, from 14, the second I could legally work, I worked for veterinarians until through college. And, um, and I, so I, you know, went in, I was a biology major, you know, initially, mm -hmm. and I figured that I actually was really terrible. I was really shitty okay. at biology. And Perfect. so my second semester, my junior year, I'm like, this is not working. Uh -uh. I'm not going to do really well. And so I um, quit, you know, biology. I changed my major to Spanish. I went to Spain uh -huh. for a semester nice. and I loved it. And so once I graduated, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do with my degree? And thought I'd have a lot of options and I didn't. So the first job I got was right out of college. I got an entry level position um, for the Multnomah County DA's office just as a hmm. front desk clerk bilingual so that I could, you know, deal, uh, help them out in their child support division. Wow. And so, you know, I worked my way up there and eventually I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a prosecutor. And so that's why I went back to law school. Interesting, what law school? Yeah. Uh, St. Mary's in San Antonio, Texas, okay. yeah. So was it the idea that you were there, were you listening or hearing little bits and pieces of cases and that kind of sparked your interest? Absolutely, yeah. And I just, I mean, the criminal side, even though I was in the child support side, you'd hear little bits of the criminal mm -hmm. side. And that was, I think I was pretty sheltered as a kid. I was like, you know, we're just watching PBS, like that type of family. Sure. That we, yeah. And so all the, the, the gore and the, you know, mm -hmm. all that good juicy stuff really yep. appealed to me, I think, because I'd been sheltered from it. And so I thought, God, I really want to go into criminal law. Uh, what was law school like? Law school was, um, I actually loved law school. It was, it was fun. San Antonio is a very, um, fun place to mm -hmm. live. Uh, it's uh, really the life of the party. And even I remember uh, when I was working, I had interned for the DA's office down there, which is like 300 attorneys. It's an enormous wow. office. And during fiestas, which they have once a year, they, um, you know, gave us $20. I don't know where the money came from, but they gave us $20, have fun, go out. You know, this is nice. during the middle of a work day uh -huh. and go have some fun. Don't come back to work drunk. And, you know, if you're drunk, go home. Don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. $20 and came so, from. Yeah. So I was like, okay, all right. So that's yeah, awesome. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was very fun. It sounds amazing. And so did you, I guess I have this vision of law school that it's just, it's always, you're always studying. You're always busy. It is, it is a lot of studying. I'm not, I, I honestly have not really read since law school, which is sad because I used to be an avid reader, but you read so much mm -hmm. in law school and it's just dense, you know, case law and text and stuff like yeah. that, that I, you know, I kind of got burned out on that. But yeah, sure. it is. It's a lot, but it's also a lot of fun too. You, there's a lot of socializing that goes on. And I think 
good lawyers also know that there is a really an art to being um, to being able to have a social um, mm-hmm. uh, you know back and forth with people rather than you know and there's people that are at the top of their class that go on to work amazing jobs mm-hmm. but the vast majority of lawyers need to know how to talk to people talk to people. <laughs> Maybe just a teeny bit. Yeah. Um, was the choice to go to San Antonio, was that to keep up that bilingual? Well, that was. It was the vast majority of that school was um, Latino. Okay. Um, and I really just loved, you know, coming up, growing up in New Mexico, I was definitely a minority there when I was younger. Right. And so having that, um, I missed that culture a mm-hmm. lot when I moved to Oregon. That was one thing that was really obvious to me was that it's pretty you know white white up here (laughs) yeah so I thought you know it was the only place I I just applied to one school and that was that was St. Mary's and I thought you know I just want to go back down to that atmosphere Mm -hmm. again for a few years so yeah I I agree I think it is nice especially when you travel to big cities yeah it's nice to see I just say, you know, different colors and shapes and sizes. Right, exactly. Because that's is. how we're made. We're not all made to be this in this mold. Exactly. So I like that, too. Was there a professor at St. Mary's that really sticks out to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, John Teeter. Um, and I remember, I mean, he's still, you know, a Facebook friend of mine to this Aww. day. But he was one of those professors who you were absolutely enthralled in his class, partially because he scared the living shit out of you. <laughs> And would absolutely call you out in front of everyone. Yes. But also because he was so funny and so humorous Mm -hmm. and just such a kind human underneath it all. And he was amazing. I, you know, it was a Catholic school. He was a Buddhist. And he actually took me to, um, I eventually started going with him to this Nishiran Buddhist temple um, for a few times because I had kind of uh, expressed an interest to him. Mm And it was just a neat, you know, go figure and go to a Catholic school to become a Buddhist. Yeah. But I'm not still a practicing Buddhist, nor was I ever really practicing, but it just mm-hmm. interested me. Just something to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Something new to learn. Do you think that there, those professors were tough because, um, you know, you have to, ultimately, as an attorney, you have to be tough. And absolutely. it's a lot of confrontation and asking the tough questions. It is a lot of confrontation. And I think you go into to law school and they are a lot of times trying to present themselves as a judge. A judge is going to give it to you if they, you know, there's... Right. And and so you really do have to get a thick skin through that process. For sure. Yeah. So that does make sense. Um, all right. So you graduate from law school. Yep. Do you come right back to Oregon? What happens next? I, yes. Yeah, so I married, um, I was I was married to um, somebody who I had known in, in Portland um, before I went down okay. there. So I'd worked for a few years, then go down back to law school. And um, we got married while I was in law school. So we came back to, to Portland after that, studying for the bar. And, um, and then <laughs> things kind of fall apart once we're <laughs> back in Oregon. It happens. You know. <laughs> so studying for the bar, how long after you graduate from law school do you, how long from that until you take the bar? Well, so it is um, immediately after. So you get back in, you know, in May, bar is in July. Mm-hmm. And I failed the bar my first time. Okay. And that was, pro- that was the first test I had ever really failed in my life. Mm. And that was horrific. I missed the cutoff by, it was like 0.004%. It was ridiculous. And there was no um, appeals at that. They had had stopped the appeal process. And so I'm like, wow, I just 
got to redo this. So I went back to the DA's office in Multnomah County, became a, just a subpoena clerk for them while I studied mm -hmm. for the bar again in February. So they offered twice a year. So I had to take it the following February, and luckily he passed. Passed. I would time. see. I would think that would be very devastating for oh. you, someone who valedictorian and very yeah, a little bit of an overachiever and very much a perfectionist. Everything has to be in its spot and very OCD <laughs> and. <laughs> So yeah, that was a wake up call. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes I'm not this not to say because I trust me, I did not go to law school and I'm not an overachiever, but I am that perfectionist yeah. and I have tend tended to be pretty good at things my yeah, whole life. Absolutely. And so then when you get a slap in the face of like, no, you failed this, yeah. you're like, wait, excuse it's, me? Wait, you guys have this wrong. Yeah, what's wrong with your system? <laughs> exactly. Right, right. That was a surprise and yeah. But a reality check that I think mm -hmm. in the end benefited me. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Very humbling. Humbling, You're yes. Like, okay, I'm not good at everything. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So hubby number one doesn't yes. work out. Nope. <laughs> and so Divorce in Portland? I uh, actually, so I ended up leaving two weeks before the second bar exam. Okay. And I moved in with a friend of mine and, um, uh, you know, a, a great girlfriend that I had, you know, a girlfriend up mm -hmm. there and she was wonderful to kind of took me in and and um, and that at that point, um, as soon as I take the bar exam, I send out a letter of introduction to every single county DA's office in Oregon. I was like, no, I want to be a prosecutor. That's all I'm going to be. I know right. that. That's what I want to be. And you know you wanted to be in Oregon. In Oregon. Okay. Well, I knew I wanted to be in Oregon because I was taking the Oregon bar. After the divorce, I had actually signed up again to take the Texas bar oh, okay. uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And so I send this letter out to every single county. And uh, Mark Huddleston from the DA's office here was the first person to say, hey, by the way, we have an opening come interview. Wow. And so I came down and interviewed. And once I got the job, I was signed up for the, or for the Texas bar two weeks later. Mm. And so I didn't say that during my- Sure, of my, course not. Right, during my interview. And I felt so guilty afterwards. I'm like, I wasn't. You know, he didn't ask about it, but I also didn't, you know, he also wanted somebody who was going to stay a little bit longer. For sure. And and so, and I'd already planned, I'm going to stay here a year, get out of Medford, mm -hmm. be done with it, mm -hmm. and go back down to Texas. And um, so after the interview, I write to, to Huddleston, I said, you know, I feel that I just need to be honest with you. I am signed up for the Texas bar. Okay. And, um, but I do want to give it a shot here. And so I get the job. And I ended up eating the money on the Texas bar and the flight down there, and I just decided just to stay. Once once I was here, I what, it was a fit. What year was that? That was 2007. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I didn't – how much is it to take the bar? Well, oh, gosh. I just remember it being like – I think it was like $1,000 and then plus the flight down there. And what? I, if I remember correctly, I think that's what the Texas bar was. I could be wrong, but – there's something well, wrong with that. Shouldn't it just be free? <laughs> it should be free for everyone. I mean, you went to law school for what, three years, <laughs> yeah, four years? Right, which is expensive. And you They know. can't give you the bar for free? Yeah, no, no. Come on. There's something wrong. <laughs> I'm going to do a story on that. Yeah. I'm going to investigate. <laughs> Investigate him. Was Oregon's bar exam pricey too? I don't remember it being as pricey, but I think so. I just, I can't remember that far I just, back. I feel like there's some systems and I'm not, I'm not bashing on that because I don't know anything about the bar yeah. system, but it's, can we just like help people be successful? Right. Yeah. It's, 
you know, they really try to thin out the herd, and especially the law school I went to. I mean, we started, you know, with a class of, I think, 300, and they okay. try to thin it out, I mean, as okay. much as possible. If that you're going sense. to Harvard, they're probably not thinning out the herd as much as that. Right. But by the end, we're about 100 people left in our, in our class. I'm assuming you want people who pay for this bar exam to be serious about becoming an attorney. Right. Absolutely. Okay. All Absolutely. right. I won't investigate. <laughs> you're you're off the hook, bar people. So this is you said 2000. What you were in? You that took the job. 2007. Okay. 2007. You take this job. Um, and you're kind of planning. Are you planning to be here for a while or not long? No, I wasn't planning to be here long. And um, one of my well, my boss at the DA's office, who's now a judge. Um, introduced me or tried to introduce me to my now husband. Who's your boss now? Well, it was. Oh, was. It was, um, well, uh, Tim Barnack, who's oh, now Oh, okay. Right? Okay, yes. And so, um, you know, he takes me for a ride along and tries to, you know, kind of mm -hmm. pawn me off on Mark, which didn't really work. And... A ride along with the Medford Police Department. Right, correct. Okay. Yes, because that's right. I skipped over that that's part. That's okay. So my husband, yeah, at that time was a patrol officer with Medford Police this Department. This is Mark Cromwell. <laughs> Who is actually shout out? Yeah, I don't. I don't ever want to like socially hang out with him because he knows more people in this area. He knows a ridiculous amount of people. It's annoying. It's really annoying. Try going to the store with oh, him. Oh, I'm sure. And it's, it was like, hey, Mark, and I'm just like, hey, hello, I'm on TV. You know what? Actually, we just had this conversation this morning. He goes, he goes, you know, Trish Close is pretty popular, and I'm like, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> and then you should have been like, actually, she's not as popular as you, Mark Cromwell. But there's, there's like the Cromwell brothers, right? Yes. The Cromwell brothers have been around forever. They all were in sports in yeah. high school. And so they, and then he owned Rosario's for a right. while. So he just. He knows a lot of people. He, and he's a social butterfly, unlike me. He just, you know. And oh, he's just the sweetest on the planet. <laughs> so he, so he's a patrol officer. You do yeah. a ride along with him. Yeah. And nothing, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I don't really want to date. Um, mm -hmm. A police officer, not because they're a police officer, but because it's so cliche for the DA and the police officer. It's like, oh, come on. Or the reporter and the, the firefighter. Right. <laughs> like, come on. I also met on a ride along. Yeah, there you go. So, right? And so, so I was cliche. like, eh, you know, not really into it. And then he comes into my office a few weeks later and uh, he asked me some really stupid question that I actually didn't know the answer, a legal question. I didn't know the answer to because I was brand new. Okay. He did know the answer to, but he asked anyway. And, mm, uh, you know. Slick. Yeah. Yeah. So then we, we uh, arranged to, you know, just go have a beer. And, mm -hmm. and the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. You guys got married when? We got married in 2011. But, okay. So we started dating about yeah, early 2008. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, before we talk about Mark, because yeah. I do want to talk about Mark. Yeah. You're in the DA's office. You were there for 11 years. Yeah. And you typically, you had kind of your niche too, like your, the yes. cases that you worked on. Right. And so, you know, it starts out, when you start out as a DA, you know, you're doing the typical misdemeanor caseload, like a lot of DUIs, a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, bar fights, assaults, you know, minor right. assaults, stuff like that. And then I moved into domestic violence for a few years, and, and that was really intense caseload. Yeah. And um, then moved into, you know, did a drug caseload for a while, and then did um, mental health caseload. 
And you saw some crazy things. Absolutely. And that mental health case, we have a mental health court. So as the liaison, you know, for our mental health court, right. we also um, do all of our um, civil commitments for Jackson County. So anyone who's a danger to themselves, others unable mm-hmm. to care for themselves. And so it's going to to the behavioral health unit at Asante and, you know, doing commitment hearings. And then, um, and then any case involving major, um, you know, mental health disorders and defenses. And so that's where I saw just some really, you know, s- s- very sad and sad. very horrific yeah. things. Yeah. Anything, is there a case, and I know this is probably totally throw you under the bus, yeah. a case in, in those 11 years that really sticks out for you? Yeah, there's, I mean, the one case that I, that, I mean, there was a, a domestic violence murder case with mm-hmm. um, uh, Borne Huddleston. Yeah. And um, that was just, that case to this day affects me. And and he was somebody who had, um, you know, was very charismatic um, and really diabolical. Um, and he ended up... Um, he had hired um, a couple of hitmen to uh, murder his wife. Right. They decide not to do it, and so he eventually does it, and then claim that she had committed suicide. And so, but the worst part about that case, the part that really affected me, is that he had left his um, young boy. I think he was nine at the time uh, to render first aid to his dying mother who had been shot in the head, and Ooh. this kid did it. I mean, he tried mouth to mouth on her. He worked on her with, you know, 911 in the background for probably 20, 25 minutes before anyone arrived. And by the time, and not to get dark, but by the time the police had arrived, I remember reading the, the, the reports of the initial responding officers who, you know, this kid comes to the door and he's got, you know, just blood all over his mouth from giving mouth to mouth to his right. dying mother and just can't really talk at that point, just points to the back bedroom. They said it was something like out of a horror movie because this kid was in shock and, you know, and so it was such a horrific scene. And and uh, that is, to this day, that case mm-hmm. breaks my heart. And, and, um, and that family was, they were such a wonderful family. And how do you come back? How do you come back from that? A lot of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. a lot of therapy. And that's when I finally realized, you know, because when, you, when you're a prosecutor and you get a murder, and it's, it sounds bad, but you have to deal with this stuff somehow. So initially, when you are like, okay, you're going out to a murder scene, mm-hmm. it's excitement. Uh-huh. It's thrilling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, let's go out there. And your, your adrenaline's going and it's... You don't realize that that stuff little by little builds up on you. For sure. And and eventually it did for me. And I finally, I was like, okay, I got to do something about this. Well, that and it's, you know, your husband's job. And, and his job, yeah. And Chuck's job. Right. And, you know, I look at these first responders yeah. and these DAs and you are witnessing this all the time. And you just sort of put it away somewhere. Right. Until... One day it just it just explodes. comes up and and I mean unlike first responders at least I'm there you know there might be a dead body on the floor but I'm not I don't have to save anyone's life I mean you mm-hmm. know and go in there or risk my own life but so that's a whole other level yeah. but it still does kind of you get yeah. some vicarious trauma from that well and you're reading the reports yeah from that these guys, too right we're just over and over reading it and visualizing it we all take a piece of the stress yeah. So Absolutely. the um, Gary Rep murder trial, yeah. 
So I was the reporter in in that in the courtroom. Yeah. And I just remember stupidly I was reading some fiction murder fiction book oh, at the same time. Yeah. And I had to be in court, you know, all day long and these live shots at noon and five and six and I'm rushing back to the station and back to the courtroom. My hair was falling out. Oh, my goodness. Because of the stress. Yeah, the stress and, of it. And you're seeing all of these visions of, you know, Carrie Rep who was murdered yeah. and they're Simil showing it all. Similar in the defense too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it was a it was a crazy case. And that was just for a month that yeah. I had to deal with. No, that. but it's a lot. Yeah, it affects you. It does for sure. Yeah, we all definitely take a piece of that stress. Yeah. So was that really after these 11 years and this kind of like, wow, I've I've dealt with this a lot. Was that the journey to being a judge? That really was. And I think the past three years with the mental health caseload and seeing what an enormous issue that has become in our valley. That mm -hmm. really prompted me. I'm seeing the work that Judge Greif does in our mental health court, seeing the work that um, you know Judge Ravasapur and then before her Judge Crane did in our in our drug courts. And that is the future of of mm -hmm. the criminal justice system. Yes, we still do have prisons. They still need to be used, but there are people out there who are decent human beings mm -hmm. that are enmeshed in mm -hmm. either drugs or mental health that we can actually help in a different way. And sure. that really pushed me to become a judge. And jail's not really an option for those people. It's, it's not, and it's the default option, unfortunately. Right. And we have a lot of mentally ill in jail mm -hmm. because they, you know, we need to do something. Yeah. And so having a different option is excellent. Look at all these girl judges we have. I know, we have a whole three girl judges now. What? <laughs> Out That's of awesome. nine. That's <laughs> We're awesome. We're getting there. We're getting there. Well, congratulations, you just Thank voted. You. Thank you. Voted in as judge. And I'm super excited for you because this is a whole new avenue for you. It is. And that was, I mean, doing a campaign, I never in a million years thought I would run for office because I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm more of an introvert. Right. And so doing that was really uncomfortable for me. And just in the end was just, you know, I hear people talk about that being a, um, a humbling experience yeah. where I always thought, you know, oh, yeah, I want right. kind of thing. But <laughs> no, it was just like almost kind of sheepish. Like, really me? Yeah. You guys, <laughs> Thank you. They like me. They really they like, like me. me. Uh -huh. And it was just very humbling. And just to, to you know, and that's something I really want to bring into being a judge. I want to remember that is that this is not a, a, a job that's status. This should be a job that's public service. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to remember that we need to, be modest on the bench and we need to be humble on the I bench. I like it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I, I tend to sometimes, uh, good thing I have Chuck in my life because he really does knock me down a peg when, <laughs> when I'm getting a little, like, I'm kind of a big deal. He's like, no, you're not. But and not really. I mean, and he and, and my husband too, they are just, they're both very humble people. Right. And I love that about them. And, Same. And, just yeah. Well, amazing. I was gonna say you had a pretty fantastic campaign manager in yeah, in, in Mark, Mark Cromwell. Cromwell. Yeah. So you are dating Mark. He has three girls. Yes. Um, was that like? At what point did you go? I think I want to marry this man, but I'm not sure about these three girls, yeah. or I'm absolutely sure about these three girls. Well, I had been a stepmother before in my first marriage, but the difference was is that my stepdaughter in my first marriage was mainly living with her mother and so I had very little okay. um experience. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. Know. I had very little experience with her. Mm -hmm. And um and so with Mark, you know, and he gets along really well with his ex-wife and it's mm -hmm. really, you know, they do a good job. Yes. Um and it takes two mature people to do that and I really 
you know, compliment them for that because they, they do an amazing job. But um, so the idea wasn't foreign to me of being a stepmom. But, you know, three girls, I'm thinking like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. But he's such an amazing dad, an amazing father. I think to me, I didn't really think much about the process of becoming a stepmom. It was the, the you know, they made it fairly easy. Well, they're really great girls. They're great girls. And the youngest one had been, she had been at a really bad time when they got divorced. She was at a young age. She was about, I think, four or five. That's so tough. She was six when I finally met her. And um, and it was a tough age for her. And she mm-hmm. really was attached and still is very attached to her mom and just protective, mm-hmm. which I think is so difficult for a kid that age. And so she was, she's the one that gave me a run for my money, which... Um, you know, I actually really appreciate because it, it, and she's amazing. She is an amazing kid now. We get along fabulously. That's awesome. Um, but I remember there was, I have to tell you a story. So when we first, she knows I'm kind of, you know, I'm cognizant of, of the way I dress and the way I present myself. Okay. And, and so I had a, you know. Thank and goodness. <laughs> and so I had a pair, you know, I was big into my shoes and blah, 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 mm-hmm. and these high heels that I would wear. So anyway, so we go to, Mark had like some sort of evening court right after work, or maybe it was the final hour of work. I can't remember. But he has Madeira that day, and um, and he says, well, will you come with me to just watch her while I'm in court testifying real quick in this municipal court right. trial? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I go over there. She's in a foul mood, does not <laughs> want to see me. And, and so... You're like, thanks, Mark. Right, right, yeah. So Mark goes up to the front of the courtroom and goes to, to um, you know, wait to take the stand. And I'm sitting in the back, and she sits n- down, same row as me, but way down from me, does not want to sit by me. And so the judge comes into the courtroom, and so she gets a little nervous. So she comes up and, like, scoots up to me. Aww. And, um, and she looks down at my shoes, which, you know, I'm wearing my work shoes. So right. You know, tall heels. heels tall right? heels. Tall yep. heels. Only and way to she do looks it. down at them, and she says, she whispers to me, she says, my mom has better shoes than you do. And I'm like, that is it. <laughs> How did she know to pick on that one thing? You're like, oh, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> Which, given her mother does have some fabulous shoes, but I'm like, oh my God, how did she know to do Pushing that? Pushing my buttons. Yep. It was like. They know how to do that, They though. really do. And, um, but, the, I mean, in, in the big picture, yeah. I mean, if that's the worst thing that happens, right. it's, I think the thing that was tough for me with being a stepmom initially is, you know, they were already a, the, with Mark and his three girls, they were already like this little family unit, unit right? Very unit. They knew each other. They mm-hmm. knew how to, how to negotiate around each other. And, um, and so I came in and I'm kind of like the, you know, mm-hmm. fourth, well, no, fifth wheel at that point. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, yeah. Right. And I'm also, you know, they were doing their own thing and very like, I'm, I'm more of an introvert, so I kind of need a little bit more alone time. And so right. it feels like a little left out at times, which I think was really challenging for me as mm-hmm. a stepmom. And um, since then, I mean, I feel just very integrated with that family. It's amazing. Well, they, they do. Are, they're crazy about you. They're just all of them. Great girls. I think it's being a stepmom. We, you and I have talked about this a lot because I'm a stepmom. Yeah. I met Connor when he was four. Yeah. And it's just, you're here by choice. Right. And not that that should be a pat on our back whatsoever, but we are here in this by choice. Right. 
And Absolutely. I do think there is a fine balance when you're a stepmom to be involved but not super involved. Absolutely, because I'm not there to replace their mother. No. They have a mother. Yeah. And a good mother. So does Connor. She's great. And they have this amazing relationship. And so I just feel like, yeah, you're kind of I always, you know, said I was wicked stepmom or mom number two and I'm absolutely (laughs) okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at one point, oh, I've got, okay, one more quick story. I know, I love it. I love so these stories. So we were at a soccer game for Mother's Day, and Madeira, the youngest again, who was, um, you know, she, the soccer coach gives her a couple roses to give to mom. So she goes and gives one to her mom, and then she comes over to me, and she's just like, oh, God, i got to give them to this gal. <laughs> <laughs> she's just like, happy fake Mother's Day. <laughs> like, oh! And so, but it was, it was so funny. So to this day, the girls call me fakey, which is actually a term of endearment. I and it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I've come to love that name because, hey, fakey. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, it's something that was, you know, they take time to get to know you. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, for the youngest, it wasn't an easy thing. And she, you know, it shouldn't be. I mean, she's, she took right. a while and she took her time. And that's and the way guys, it should be. And you guys, from now on, will probably have this most amazing relationship yeah. because there was that little bit of a headbutt in the Absolutely. beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and I... I probably wear my fakey name. Good for you. Good for you. No, I think it, it does come as a badge of honor as a stepmom because you are coming into their life as a, I don't want to say a stranger, but it's right. like, who are who you? Who is this? And why, and yeah, and especially as with girls, it's like, and wait, you're taking over my right. dad. Right, There's another female coming into the mix. Yeah, and my mom doesn't cook potatoes like that. Right. <laughs> why are you cooking them that yeah. way, weirdo? Yeah. No, I absolutely get that. And so yeah. I think being a step-parent, a good step-parent, yeah. um, I applaud those out there who yeah. make that choice to... And I would choose it over and over again. Same here, a thousand yeah. times. Yeah. Because there were rocky points with Connor and I, absolutely. and I would I would do those a bazillion times yeah. over again. Absolutely. So yeah. I do have one, speaking about your shoes, Yeah. I was in court, I think it was for... For some reason, I got picked to be on a jury. <laughs> and that's where I first was aware of you. Here is this DA, like blonde hair, this like pencil skirt, and this shirt, these high heels. And I'm like, I didn't know prosecutors could be hot. It's like, wow, she's so gorgeous. Sweet. And then obviously we became yeah. friends and... Um, I'm like, oh, there's the there's the girl DA that. And apparently, I was dumb enough to put a reporter on my jury. <laughs> what am I thinking? I think it was. Let's say it was the defense. It okay. Was yeah. Yeah. They did that. <laughs> All right. We're gonna wrap up a little bit. Um, final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. Well, um, I think, and this is again through years of therapy. I think what I've kind of learned from that is, especially in our in 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 jobs where in the criminal justice system or any type of, you know, not that I'm a first responder, but that kind of system is you tend to look at the world in a very black and white way. Mm -hmm. And tweakers are bad and, you know, they do bad things and, you know, people need to be in, you know, it's it's a very, you, you tend to take shortcuts because you have to fix, put all this stuff into little boxes to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. And and so what I've learned, I think, and in, in through, you know, my, the advice of my therapist, my wonderful therapist, is is that really the world is very gray. And, and it's okay for it to be gray. And it takes a lot of, you know, you're kind of a contortionist to hold all these different pieces and say, you know, there, there is, you know, a wonderful person underneath that drug addict. Mm-hmm. And they're not just a tweaker. Mm-hmm. And there actually is somebody who is kind and sincere and loving a lot of the time. 
and you know or you know different things like that and mm -hmm. so the idea of, of I, things being gray yeah. is that tweaker was someone's child, child at one time. Absolutely. Sweet child. Sweet child and oftentimes with something like that either had a trauma history or was yeah. ultra sensitive, you know, yeah. really. And I'm a, a, a you know, I kind of like giggle a little bit when everybody's I'm like, I, you're my therapist or I'm in yeah, therapy. Yeah. It's so important to talk to someone. Oh my gosh. If I, if I could give a piece of advice, everyone in our, you know, in this field and even elsewhere mm -hmm. get a good therapist yeah <laughs> or talk really about important. it just talk about it don't leave it inside absolutely because yeah. it will explode and maybe in a really bad way yeah absolutely um if you ever left this place what would bring you back here what would you miss the most the thing that i love the most is and it's actually coming up this week is is you know i i used to hate the holidays it was you know always a dreary time for me i mm -hmm. didn't like it but meeting w with mark's family um you know, it's just this big gathering. Everyone gets along. It's laughing. It's, you know, having a whiskey. It's, you know, just cackling with my mother-in-law at the table and awesome. playing cards. I love that. And it's all out at our little cabin out in the Applegate. And it's, you know, cozy in there. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I, you know, will, there's something very special about this valley. Agreed. And it's not, it's the people, it's the atmosphere, it's a little of everything. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of family here. Yeah. By yes. way of Mark By Cromwell. way of Mark, yeah. 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 Awesome. Uh, my favorite question. Yeah. Final meal, final drink. What would that look like? Oh, goodness. Okay. So, uh, and you told me that this was coming. So, <laughs> I don't know. They certainly wouldn't be in the same, <laughs> at the same time. Okay. So <laughs> but. You, it's your final meal. You my can do whatever you want. My comfort drink that nobody understands is Campari. I love Campari. And it's my, you know, my grandparents were from Italy and, and I've been drinking Campari. My dad would give me a little sip when I was little. And, you know, so f since I was a little kid, I've had a little Campari. Awesome. And I love it. And it's a comfort drink for me. Straight. S straight. On the rocks with a twist. Wow. And um, everyone else thinks it tastes like ass, which... I love Campari, <laughs> but I love a good Boulevardier, which Campari is yes. in the Boulevardier. Yes. So. Oh, and you uh, introduced me to the, um, what was it? Is it a Negroni with the Campari yeah, it's, in it? Yeah, it's a Negroni oh, with so good. rye whiskey instead of gin. Yes. So it's the Boulevardier. Oh, that's, oh, okay. That is it. All yeah. right. So good. That's because I make it now. I apparently didn't know what it was called. But it's okay. <laughs> Call it whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. And then uh, a meal, you know, what I love and I haven't had since I was a kid, but we used to go to um, visit my grandparents um, in New York, and it would always be like out on Long Island, and you'd have this like crab feast. Mm. And so we'd also sometimes go to this crab restaurant, which was like a hole in the wall. It was a crab shack. <laughs> and, nice. And it was paper, you know, newspaper, mm -hmm. thrown down, just a bunch of crabs thrown down, butter flying. Yum lemon flying and mm -hmm. it just looked probably looked like a murder scene when you're right? done but it's the most <laughs> like just get dirty <laughs> right. love that yes so that would be it i love it that's a yeah. good answer all right laura cromwell if you're listening to this podcast on itunes and you like it please subscribe rate and review it helps other people find us we're also on google play you can check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com just click on features and then off script this was one of the best conversations. Oh, thank you, Trish. And I learned You're... new things about you. I know. <laughs> thank you so much. I love Trish. it. All right, look out for Badass Judge, Laura Cromwell. <laughs> Thanks, Laura.